Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Poverty has myriad downsides, some of which are very obvious, some of which are not. One of those that's not, and even rarely talked about, is something called period poverty. It refers to the inability of a significant number of low-income women to afford basic menstrual hygiene products. Research indicates a large majority of poor girls and women in St. Louis fall into this category, as do millions of women around the world. Joining me in studio to talk about this issue are Anne Siebert-Kuhlman, Associate Professor in St. Louis University's College for Public Health and Social Justice. She's done local research on the subject. Angie Weissman is Executive Director of an advocacy organization called Dignity Period, and Jessica Adams runs the St. Louis Area Diaper Bank and started the new St. Louis Alliance for Period Supplies. Ladies, thanks so much for being here. Great to have you. Thank you. you. This is an important subject. As I mentioned to you off the air, you know, I don't think many men have given this subject very much thought, even know that there's a problem out there. And probably a lot of women don't know about it either. So let's inform folks about what can be a, a serious problem. And I'll start with you. You've done the research. What do your numbers show? Yes, so we found that nearly two-thirds of the women, 64%, um, were not able to afford needed period products in the past year. So when they had periods and they needed products, they didn't have money to buy them. And we found that um, for about um, 20% of those women, this is something that they faced every month. You know, what's the cost? About $100 a year, something like that? Around that, yes. It's really hard to imagine in, in today's age that people don't have $100 over the course of a year for something so important? So many of the women that we interviewed really are getting by, you know, and so these are not products that you can use WIC benefits or SNAP benefits or Medicaid, any sort of um, resources, support resources in order to purchase. Mm. Angie, tell me about your organization. It's involved primarily in with young women in Eth- and women in Ethiopia, correct? But there is a local connection. Yes. So um, Dignity Period is a 501c3 based here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, started with Dr. Lewis Wall and his wife, Helen, who traveled to Ethiopia and met this woman, Frawini, who shared her story and came back wanting to do something and impact the lives of girls over in Ethiopia, mainly through continuing their education and not having it Um, stopped by not having access to menstrual hygiene products. So um, we raise money here in the States. We purchase pads over in McKelly, Ethiopia, and then we take those pads to the area schools and do an educational program with both the boys and the girls to let them know what menstruation is and that it's a natural process. And then we meet with the girls, should they so choose, and they're given the pad kits, which consist of four reusable pads and two pair of underwear which, if cared for correctly, could allow these girls to have supplies for up to 18 months. What about the local connection? Ethiopia is a long way away, and we have a problem here. (laughs) Right. So we're very excited to be part of the alliance as the reusable pad partner. We're actually doing a run of reusable pads produced here in St. Louis through Cotton Babies that we'll be donating to the alliance to go through um, to these various women throughout the area. 
Well, Jess, this is where you come in. T- tell us about that and how it all got started. Yeah, so um, in May of 2018, the National Diaper Bank Network launched a new program, the National Alliance for Period Supplies, with the support of the Kimberly Clark brand, You Buy Kotex. Um, so, You Buy Kotex has donated millions and millions of um, pads and panty liners to the National Alliance for Period Supplies. And that National Alliance is made up of allied programs like ours here in St. Louis. Um, so we're excited to be launching the St. Louis Alliance for Period Supplies in the spring this year in 2019 as a program of the St. Louis Area Diaper Bank. How is it going to work? So it'll work a lot like our model for the distribution of diapers. We will bring on partner organizations um, and we will distribute the products to those partners and they will distribute them to the women and girls that they're serving through their programs or at schools. Uh, we really kind of want to make sure to broadly get products out to different types of women in St. Louis. And uh, what are the consequences of of not having these products? So um, women who don't have good menstrual hygiene are at higher risk for infections, so vaginal or urinary tract infections or skin infections. Um, But then we also find that a number of women miss um, work or school when they don't have products. And you can also imagine um, how it affects your sense of self-worth and dignity, especially a large number of women we talk to may only have one pair of underwear. And so if you're making do um, with homemade, you know, makeshift pad or tampon all month for all your cycle um, and you only have one pair of underwear and that gets soiled and stuff, it really affects your sense of self. Right. My impression from what I've been reading about this is they'll resort to diapers, uh, rags, Tissues, that's, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah, so we heard from women. I mean, women are resourceful. I mean, they figure out a way to make do. Um, so using tissue, toilet paper, paper towels from public restrooms, um, cutting up kids' diapers, and making makeshift pads themselves. But you can imagine that having to do that on a regular basis kind of really affects mm-hmm. how you feel about yourself. How, how did this whole body of research get started? And, and, and well, I guess we know why, but why specifically did this project get started? Yeah, well, it's interesting. <clears throat> I was actually working in coordination with Dignity Period to help do an evaluation of their program in Ethiopia to look at the effect of the intervention of distributing pads and doing education on girls' attendance at school relative to boys. Um, and we doing the background <clears throat> research, we realized that there wasn't a lot of evidence or data about this issue in the United States or other high-income countries. And we thought, okay, a lot of really low-income women are living under a lot of the same conditions here, but we're not talking about it. We're not documenting. We don't know the extent or the magnitude. And so that really drove us to want to look at this issue here in St. Louis. Angie, can you give us some sense of what uh, of what the health consequences have been like in Ethiopia? Anne has already t- said what they can be, but how did they present, if you will, amongst the young women there? 
Sure. So in Ethiopia, it's still very much a taboo topic in areas. Um, you know, there are stories of girls that start their menstruation and go home and their fathers don't realize that it's a natural process and there's an issue when they go home and there's a misperception that maybe they've been sexually active. Um, so a big part of this is kind of stopping that taboo in its tracks and working with both the boys and girls to impact that. Health-wise, it's very similar, obviously, to girls here. If you don't have the correct supplies and you might not even have access to tissue or toilet paper over there, you're using grass and leaves and things that you know you find amongst nature, it can become a very big health issue very quickly. And the bigger component over there as well is it eventually impacts to where these girls, you know, become embarrassed, they decide to miss a week, and then the next month they miss another week. And eventually they say, this just isn't worth it, I've fallen too far behind, and then their education is cut short. So it goes far beyond the initial health concerns, you know, affects their livelihood. Why is the education of young men important? Well, I think the education of young men is important in Ethiopia and in the U.S. still. I mean, as you said when you introed, there's it's not necessarily a taboo topic, but it's not really talked about out in the open. Um, I think one of the most incredible things that I saw when I visited Ethiopia last December, um, we visited one of the schools and there was a kind of quiet room and it was cool and there were cots on the floors and we asked the girls, we said, what is this room? And they said, oh, it's our, it's our period room. You know, if we need to come and relax and take a moment. And I thought, that, that is way more progressive probably than we'll ever have <laughs> here in the States. And, and to get to that level and to have um, men who are kind of setting the educational standards over there be part of that and support it is really impressive and shows that, you know, um, health-wise and government-wise, the Ethiopian government is really taking charge and looking at this issue as a wellness issue for their for their girls and women. So, Jessica, you were nodding throughout uh, Angie's uh, comments there. What's your take? Um, you know, I was presenting to a group about the launch of the alliance here in St. Louis, and a man, I think a little bit tongue-in-cheek, stood up and asked, um, you know, half of the room that you're talking to here are men. What do, what do we care about period poverty or access to menstrual hygiene products? And, you know, I said it really it comes down to whether or not you value the role that women play in your work and in your life. Menstrual hygiene products are often what stand between women and full participation in their lives. And that's the problem that we're um, aiming to solve. All right. And you want to add to that to supplement that? Yeah, I think there really is um, a strong education component that we need to address. So not just the products and supply side, but really kind of bringing this issue to attention, raising awareness um, among the whole population, not just among women and girls, about what the role of menstruation period products and how that affects women's participation, attendance at school, participation in employment, um, their sense of self-worth and dignity. So I think it's very, very important. This subject can to our attention first because of an article in Newsweek, mm-hmm. and of which you were prominently featured. And uh, one of the things that uh, th- was pointed out is that St. Louis probably is worse than a great many other cities with regard to this uh, situation. So that's something Mm -hmm. that we really need to explore. Our research was here in St. Louis, and so obviously our findings are applicable here to St. Louis. Um, I think there is, this issue does span 
cities, rural communities, big cities. Um, but in order to kind of document the extent of the need and the severity and the magnitude, that's something where the research would need to be repeated in other cities. But I think that um, the same issues that women and girls are facing here in St. Louis are likely to be occurring in many cities around Ur the country. Urban poor are urban poor, and mm -hmm. the problems are, have to be similar. Correct. And the, the um, supports that we have in many places do not cover period products. And so women, it's hard for them to have access to When you to say them. the supports you have, what, what do you In terms of safety net, so Medicaid or SNAP benefits or WIC benefits, I mean, those are national standard programs, and so there's not going to be benefits. Okay. Um, I have to take a break. Let's do that now. We'll come back and continue our conversation on period poverty in just a moment, but uh, we'll take this break. And by the way, if you have questions or comments that you'd like to make on this subject, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you'd prefer to send us a tweet, do so at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back to our discussion on period poverty. My guests in studio are Anne Siebert Kuhlman uh, with St. Louis University's College for Public Health and Social Justice. Uh, Jessica Adams runs the St. Louis Area Diaper Bank, and Angie Weissman is Executive Director of Dignity Period. Angie, let me get back to you with regard to the distribution of these reusable pads. Mm -hmm. How is that going to work? I mean, how are you, you going to find the people that need them? So that's where our partnership with the Alliance comes in. Um, in the St. Louis area, obviously, our expertise is distribution in Ethiopia, yeah. <laughs> not in St. Louis. And the Alliance already has a very willing group of partners that are very excited to get these products. So we're actually gifting our reusable pads to the Alliance, and they'll work on distribution as they work with the the organizations that are looking forward to them. Jess, why don't you, why don't you go further on that? Yeah, so um, here in a very short uh, period of time, hopefully at the beginning of February, we'll be opening up applications to organizations around St. Louis that are serving low-income individuals with periods. Um, and we'll be kind of, you know, like I was talking about before, building that partner network. We're looking primarily um, to start with... Um, we would like to start distributing products in schools so that we can make sure that girls in school have access to the products that they need. And then we, um, like Angie was saying, there are a variety of agencies that were connected to Ann's research who are um, interested in partnerships sort of off the bat. So we're excited to see things um, grow with, with that network of partners. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Ann, do you want to add anything that we should be talking about in this subject that I haven't addressed because of my ignorance of the subject? 
No, I think you've covered a lot, and I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of help us bring this issue to attention and raise awareness around it. I mean, I think something else that is um, really important that we found is that there's a big relationship between food insecurity and period poverty. So about half of the women really struggled both to have enough food and to get um, period products, and so that there was a big intersection there, and that's something that we need to address, that all of these things kind of feed off of each other and you're worried about getting food for yourself, diapers for your kids, then, you know, where does period products fall in that? And then all of a sudden you're making do and you're really just trying to get makeshift, get by, and it really starts to kind of affect your ability to fully participate in life. I, I gather from your organization, Jess, that the diapers are an issue too, which is also an, an important hygienic uh, situation. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, the It felt like a good fit for the Alliance for Period Supplies to grow out of the St. Louis Area Diaper Bank. A, we have you know, kind of the warehousing and distribution model down. But access to basic needs, like Anne was saying, is the is the baseline. If you don't have what you need to live a healthy life at the baseline, then you're not going to be able to achieve in all other areas of your life. So yes, diapers and period products, actually item per item cost about the same. The difference is for diapers, you buy them for, you know, three years of a kiddo's life, but for period products, women are buying them every single month for 20, 30 years. Um, So the expense is huge. And for families who, most of the families who get diapers from the diaper bank tell us that they make less than $1,000 a month. And if you consider rent, and transportation and food and child care and clothing and all of the things. It's not very much. No. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not very much. Uh, and I'll take this question back to you. It's something that, uh, again, that I was surprised by. And that is apparently there is a tampon tax. I mean, this is, would you explain what that is and why it is? Well, so what it, the tampon tax refers to is that um, period products are often taxed at the full rate, not at the lower rate for food products or medical products. So in there are some states where either there's no sales tax at all, so regardless, then things like period products aren't taxed. There are other states where they have um, classified period products under the medical tax license or with the food tax, and so they're taxed at the lower rate. But you know, in St. Louis, tax rates vary tremendously within municipalities, but there's that full tax rate, and then there's the lower tax rate for food products. That's not incorporated as part of the overall sales tax? It's part of the the sales tax, but that food is, as sales tax, food is taxed at a lower rate. Um, But period products, even though they are something that women need, that they're essential products, are at that full tax rate. And so that's what that tampon tax term refers to is this idea that only um, women or people who are having periods are having to buy these necessities and we're taxing them at kind of the highest full sales tax rate Just possible. exacerbating the, mm-hmm. the problem, needless to say. Let's take a call. Claire wants to join us from Festus. We'll bring her in now. Claire, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having this conversation today. I think it's a really important one. And it needs to have a voice. Um, I was just mentioning that um, I, you know, can really relate to this. As a young girl, my family was very poor. And, um, and you know, I started my period. And I was very, um, 
you know, it made me nervous. The whole experience was confusing and overwhelming. And then because my family was poor, even if maybe the cost was not that high to a young person, if the, the conversations at home are don't touch the food, you know, there's only a certain amount for dinner. I'm not, I was not going to say, and I need pets. And so because I felt that was making a problem, now I was making even a bigger problem for my parents. And so I didn't mention it. So I would go to school, but I was desperate. And so it is hard to concentrate on math and English when you're really worried. When I stand up from this class, am I going to be soiled? And um, and so, you know, grab whatever you can, toilet paper, school paper, whatever you can to try to catch the blood to be frank. And, you know, it's like it's unfortunate for young girls, especially because you got to understand they're not looking at it from an adult's perspective. It's, you know, from a young person's eyes. And um, and so I really do appreciate this approach. And I would even think when I was young, if I had to go to the nurse's office to get a tampon, I would feel so self-conscious that everybody knew I had my period. And um, even though that's not the case, that's how I would feel, I think, at that age. So I almost wish that there could be a sign-up, some kind of outreach to young girls, and that um, there could be a sign-up and it be mailed to them, to their homes or something where they could be, you know, it doesn't become a transaction at school, which can be stressful. Claire, thank you so much for the call. I think you've given plenty to talk about here. What do you think about that, the idea of having some sort of a sign-up so that there is not that embarrassment of everybody knowing what you're going to the nurse for? You know, uh, (laughs) one of the allied programs in the National Alliance for Period Supplies has come up with a creative solution to that. And in the schools where they're working, they've kind of talked with teachers and students and provide menstrual products free of charge in every bathroom in the school and everyone sort of has an understanding that these are here for everyone to use. Uh, They're just out um, so that there's no embarrassment having to walk to the nurse's office to get products. They're just in the restrooms where the girls need them um, and it seems to be working really well. We have a couple of of listeners who have written in on Twitter and uh, and Facebook uh, basically asking about supplies of this type uh, being supplied to local jails. Is that an issue? Is there a problem in the jails? Are they not typically supplied? So that is interesting. It depends on um, the system. So recently the federal system um, required uh, products to be um, supplied to women free of cost, but it's different at state and local systems. And so there's actually some research going on looking at the access that women have in Missouri, incarcerated women in Missouri, Mm -hmm. state and local. So yes, we need to see what's coming out there. Well, aside from the schools and aside from the jails, what are other places where you think that uh, these products should be available and available easily? Any ideas, Angie? Do Anything come to mind? I mean, Anne was saying often that food insecurity and period poverty walk hand in hand. The same is true for diaper need. The way we use the diaper bank is to use diapers to get families engaged with long-term services like parents as teachers so that they can have supports for that early childhood period. That's not what we need to do with period products. Women just need to get their hands on them. So it makes sense to put them in the places where folks are already going to get the resources that they need, food pantries, schools, Mm -hmm. places of employment, um, 
WIC offices. I mean, really anywhere that a low-income woman would be frequenting mm-hmm. to access other resources, that's where we want to be with period products. Go ahead, Anne. I was going to say, um, I think there's also an interesting point that the caller had brought up about being a girl in the family. So a good portion of the women that we spoke with, it wasn't just them in the household, right? They also have uh, teenage girls who have their periods. And so you talk about $100 a year, but all this, now you're multiplying. You know, you yeah. have multiple uh, girls who are also having their periods in your house. And all of a sudden, those costs really start to add up exponentially. So You know, it's seems to me there's another element to the education uh, situation here, and that would be advising young women before they have their periods that this is coming. This is what's going to be happening to you. Angie, do you want to address that? You talked about Ethiopia, and I'm sure that that's part of the discussion there. Yes. So, um, you know, we are in the planning processes of how we might tackle the educational piece in schools here in St. Louis. Um, but as we mentioned, one of the things that we do and we hope to maybe do in the St. Louis community is to provide that education, that booklet that says, again, this is a natural process. This is why this is happening. But the bigger proponent of that is also making sure that the boys share in that education. You know, we want to make girls feel confident and we want them to have a support system with the boys and men in their lives that if they say, oh my gosh, you know, this month I really need to have access to some pads or some tampons, that if they have a man in their life or a boy in their life, they can say, okay, I will help you figure out how we can get these supplies for you. How hurtful is it, Jess, for a young woman who's having her period to discover that the boys in the class know about that? Um, I don't know about the having the period part, but the um, National Alliance for Period Supplies conducted research nationally, and a huge percentage, almost 60% of people who were experiencing period poverty talked a lot about the shame and embarrassment that they felt as a result of that. So like the caller who mentioned, oh gosh, when I stand up from here, what's going to be the situation, and I'm nervous about moving around in, in the world. Um, I think that's a really common experience. Yeah. We're going to have to wrap this up, but let me ask each of you, and I'll start with you, Anne, once again. Again, um, where do we go from here? Now, when we know there's a problem and we know that there are solutions to the problem. What happens next? Yeah, I think um, for us, from kind of the, the research documentation perspective, one of the things that we're doing now is looking at um, stores and availability and trying to map, um, similar to the idea of food deserts, about cost and um, availability in different communities, different neighborhoods in St. Louis, and then also exploring this issue um, among refugee and immigrant women. So women who are coming from countries where we know, like Ethiopia, that there are issues. How do you handle it when you come? to the United States and you're dealing with that here along with all of your other stresses for immigration. And so from a, you know, really documenting the issue, those are two areas that we are currently moving into. Angie, how about you? What's next? I think what's very exciting for us is to kind of get a pulse on how the St. Louis community will react to the fact that we're providing reusable pads versus disposables. Um, you know, and sharing our and sharing our pilot project and what we're planning to do with the Alliance, I get a lot of strange looks from people that just have a hard time wrapping their brain around the fact that it's going to be a reusable product. But um, Don, as you can see, you know, they're very discreet. And I think if your choice comes down to nothing or paper towel or a 
well-designed, reusable product, you're definitely going to give them a shot, so to speak. So we're, um, I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback of the girls and women that have access to them and what they think. And Jess? Well, we're, I mean, just excited to move forward and get these products out um, into the world. You Buy Kotex has already donated uh, 200,000 pads and panty liners to the St. Louis Alliance wow. for Period Supplies. And um, since Anne's research has been getting some press, we've had donations coming in nearly every day of things to our warehouse in Brentwood. Pads and tampons and panty liners, we accept all of those donations at the Diaper Bank Warehouse in Brentwood. Um you know, I think the community is really excited about um, hearing about this need and then seeing right on the tail that there is something right now that people can do to make sure that this problem gets fixed. How, how do people get access to those supplies that you now have? Do you have a website? Do you have people just drop in? How does that well, so folks, the supplies will start going out in April, April right? Um, and those will go out to our partner agencies. Right now, if folks have donations to drop off, they can bring them to our warehouse in Brentwood. We're 290 Hanley Industrial Court. Um, if you want to contribute financially to support the Alliance, you can do that on the Diaper Bank's website. Um, the Alliance is a program of the St. Louis area diaper bank. Um, so just make a little note that you want it to go to period products. But um, we're there for people to come and talk to. Angie, you have a website too, I'm sure. We so do. we'll, we'll we post do. links to these websites uh, on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Do you Perfect. need any assistance in that way, Ann? In, in, in terms, terms of the website? Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone is welcome to kind of look at the work that we're doing. And I'm happy to speak and to kind of raise awareness about this issue. We will certainly uh, make folks aware of that. Thank you so much. Uh, Ann Siebert Kuhlman of St. Louis University. Jessica Adams, thank you for being with us. And uh, Angie Weissman, thank you. Good luck to all of you. And thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.